If you're now just joining us live, we're glad that you're with us. Just to remember, Spread the Word Vision Conference comes up this Sunday. Uh, we'll be starting off. Brian Barry will be here. And uh, Sunday night, we will also be having a dinner at uh, 6 o'clock. And uh, so we need, um, or actually the dinner I think is before that. Don't quote me on that. Uh, I had to go back and look at what I what I planned. But David Branham is going to need... Um, I guess we don't have enough people signed up for the dinner on Sunday night. Uh, so I guess we need sides. I don't know. So uh, the sign-up sheet's not out anymore because the sign-ups are over uh, because it starts this weekend. So um, so they just need to know what you're bringing, I guess. So if you can contact Dave Branham, that sounds like a good plan to me. Uh, and he says just bring it out on Sunday night between 5 and 5.30. So we must be eating at 6.00. So six six o'clock will be eating time, but we will need you kind of showing up at five five thirty so we can all get ready to roll. And also, if you want to help Steve set up, we'll probably set up Sunday after Brian's done preaching. Uh, if you're a guy uh, that wants to help put the tables up, all these chairs will be taken. You know, we'll get everything out, get the table set up, and then afterward we'll have to tear all that down again and put it back up for Sunday uh, for Saturday morning or Monday morning. I'm sorry, blah, 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 blah. Monday morning. So a lot going on there, so just uh, keep that in mind. Uh, so uh, another quick announcement is it's it's time. It is time, and I've started seeing more sign-ups come in. It's time to sign up for Christ, uh, Christ Soccer Academy, uh, which will be starting on May 6th. So if we can get in the next three or four weeks get a bunch of sign-ups going, that will be great. That way we know how many people we'll have to work with when the teams uh, get formed. We want to get those teams formed the last week of April uh, as we start the first week of of May. All right. So those are all my announcements that I didn't already do or I repeated from before we turn on the camera. Uh, we're in, uh, we're talking in, uh, about body life. We've covered, um, several things already. We've covered provision and protection, uh, and we talked about function, relation, identification, mission, and vision. Tonight we're going to pick up where we left off on interaction, which is touching the lives of others with the Word of God. <clears throat> and I'm not going to run through these. We've already seen that. Look at that beautiful picture. That's Heartland at 20 years old. All right. So I was going this morning. I was going through some. I was going through pictures looking for Bill Elam, uh, his baptism photo. I couldn't find it. But when I, I found a bunch of old photos on our in, on the server, it was pretty cool. Looking back in the old days, going back in the archives. So okay, this lesson is designed to give us an understanding of the love of God or the love that God's given us, so we can freely give it to others. Uh, I did not correct that slide, so I'm going to go past it. So if you are filling in the blanks, last time we got together, uh, we talked about uh, in Christ, you are a, a new man. Uh, you're a new man. And because of, because of the finished work of Christ, you're forgiven. And this is the finished work. There we go. Um, that's the fin- that, <clears throat> because of the finished work of Christ, you're forgiven. That's because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, because of his finished work. Wait a minute. That isn't – is that lining up with your outline? I'm wondering if I'm in the right spot. True love is what you, we started off with, correct? Right. That's where we left off. But I'm reviewing my, my notes here and – I'm confusing myself. 
Yeah, let me look at that real quick because I'm thinking I'm in the wrong set of notes somehow. How did that happen? Yeah. So forgive me. I'm in the wrong set of notes. No wonder that's not making me any, any making sense to me. Forgive me for just a moment. Your notes are fine. This is my notes that are off. That would have been really confusing. Okay, now I'm making sense. Now we're in interaction. All right, now that makes more sense. All right, so we're talking about true love, true forgiveness, and true repentance. So last week we saw that uh, the true love is God's love. That is making sense. And we saw that uh, the love of God is pure, selfless, and divine. The word translated love in John 3.16 is agapeo. We talked about the distinctions there and how agape love is not limited to the Godhead. It's something that we can engage in. And I gave you several examples of that. Uh, and then we talked about the different types of love under point B. Uh, agape love, of course, everyone talks about that. And then this word, um, storge, is storge, I think is how you pronounce it. Philostorgos, uh, depends on which uh, pronunciation you got it. Philostorgos, actually, is how it's said. Um, so I got a couple different pronunciations, but the point is, is that's the Greek word for kindly affection that you see in uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. And one that's very familiar to most of us is Philadelphian love. And we talked about that, brotherly love. Of course, we have a city in, in a PA called Philadelphia, uh, which means brotherly love. And then the last one, which actually doesn't appear in, in the uh, King James Bible or in the TR, is this eros that people often talk about. It may be described, as I mentioned, certain aspects, but I found it interesting that God doesn't include that even in uh, sexual love between a couple in the Word of God. And so uh, and so that's uh, because I believe, because, and I talked about that, how marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled in Hebrews chapter um, 13, verse 4. And then point C, we saw the power of God's love. And how God's love is powerful enough to conquer all fear, and how God exists uh, because or exists and is eternal. Therefore, when we receive the love of God, it's, it far surpasses any other love available in time, because God's love is eternal. His love simply exists, and He uh, and He has directed it toward us, not because we merit His love, but because He is loving in His nature. Right? He is he, God is love. It's who He is. We saw that. Um, uh, Many passages in Scripture reveal the power of God's love, and some of the most simple and common are some of the most powerful. So it's very, God's love is is really profound uh, as well. And the last thing we talked about, and this gets us close to where we we left off, is uh, the power of God's love is enough to reconcile uh, my breach of sin, your breach of sin, and the whole world. So we had a today we had a funeral, and that's what we talked about. One of the endearing qualities of Bill Elam, who passed away, is the fact that he was he died long ago. So um, he he's been about 16 years ago. We baptized him here, but um, uh, he was a new creature in Christ, and the old Bill Elam uh, was dead, and a new Bill Elam resurrected uh, before he even died and 
will resurrect again. So he was a new creature in Christ and uh, completely different, completely different from who he was before he was in Christ. So there's a, a tangible change uh, in his life. And so which should be that way in all of our lives, actually. So the power of God's love is enough to reconcile the breach of sin. And, of course, it changes us from the inside out, and charity does cover a multitude of sins. All right, so that's where we were. If you just had an outline tonight, um, that's where we left. That's kind of what we finished up on last week. And then we started in on true forgiveness. And I'm just going to start from the top and work my way down on this subject. So we looked at several verses as, by way of introduction. And, uh, and, and the first verse that we looked at was 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10. The Bible says, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also uh, for uh, or so if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So if you deconstruct what Paul's saying here now, this is a is a matter of grievous sin in the church of Corinth. Right. So if you go back to first uh, Corinthians chapter five. You'll see this is a this is a, a, so grievous that Paul had to tell them this guy needs to be like booted out of the church. So when you come together on the Lord's Day, remove this guy from your fellowship. He is not welcome because it's a reproach on Jesus Christ. So this was serious sin. All right, um, but uh, praise the Lord, the guy repented. All right, and so now Paul writes in the second epistle. Oh, okay, you forgave him. I forgive him. No problem. I do it in the person of Christ. And so it's as far away as this is from the West. And I, I pointed that out last week. You know, what he didn't do is say, this guy's got to be lost because look how wicked he is. You know, Paul took his profession of faith and assumed that he was saved. And then, But just because you're saved doesn't mean you, you can defile the whole body, right? So uh, you can have your profession, but you cannot have uh, access to the body of Christ to defile it. So from time to time, we'll get some serpent in the grass or whatever, somebody who's going to try to rob people or, uh, or or steal women's virtue or whatever. It could be a number of different things. Something that's just untoward that is not acceptable in the body. And once we deal with it, if it won't be dealt with, if they refuse to deal with it, at some point we have to say, uh, you're no longer welcome. Now, sometimes that's done privately. Sometimes it's done publicly. It just depends on the status of the person. It depends if they're a member or not, actually, as, uh, typically. And um, and if they're repentant and how they'll deal with it. But and if and when they repent, then what should we do? Forgive them. Right. We do forgive them. Um, and so um, and he and Paul tells you why, because lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let me let me ask you a question here on this before we get too far into this forgiveness thing. Um, it, just because someone's forgiven, does that mean you trust them? Now, because First Thessalonians 5 does tell us, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. So if we go to an extreme situation, of which we occasionally have around here, so you have, say, a pedophile, right? So there's certain things um, that forgiveness is available to all pedophiles, but that doesn't mean forgiveness means you get access to the E-wing, right? So, or we can allow you to be on the property when the kids are playing games, right? So... Um, or there, you know, there's some children's event. So there's some things that even though you're forgiven, there's still consequences that you have to live with. And some of my brothers would probably find that a little too much. Um, but, um, I'm like, Hey, that's just the way it goes. Statistically, that's the best thing to do, not only for the children, but also for the pedophile. So my, my rule is this. If you're a, if you're a pedophile and you're convicted and all of that, 
And um, you, we forget, you're, if you're in Christ, I'll take you at your word. You're forgiven. You know, praise the Lord. But uh, we're not going to let you have access to the ewing. So if they don't, if a if a if a pedophile will not agree to that, uh, then they will not be welcome. Even though we love them and we're thankful they know the Lord. Um, so some could find that uh, not gracious enough. And at the judgment seat of Christ, if I'm not gracious enough, I will I'll, I will answer for that. So uh, this policy, by the way, came before all of this sexualization of our children and perversion that's going on now. So I'm actually more committed to it today than I, I was before. <laughs> so because you just man, I just the devil, the world of flesh, the devil's going after the, the kiddos. And so and so again, that doesn't mean we don't forgive. It just means you just have to use wisdom. Yes, Ron. Yeah, I want to run this mic to you, uh, but I'll just say what he said. So Ron's, Ron says this is a good example of what I'm saying is in the Old Testament, God would, which is the law, God would demand restitution, right? And, um, and so there, and there was, there, there was, and there is, uh, even under our laws, uh, need for restitution. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of an extreme situation. I'm, I'm going way out there. Uh, but there are extreme situations, and those are practical situations. It's in a relational context. If a um, uh, if a husband, let's say, steps out on his wife, of course, in an adulterous affair, uh, it's reasonable for that wife to have a, a season of wanting to to prove that her husband's faithful. Right? That doesn't mean she doesn't forgive him, but it takes a while to rebuild that trust, doesn't it? So you know, things like that are just. Um, common sense and so the offending party should do what is necessary to reinforce that trust because the devil has a place and he will try to continue to take advantage of that and so um and so forgiveness is an important topic though to the christian because it's 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 really where we all start with christ in luke seven forty seven, it's like an airplane uh it says wherefore i say unto thee uh, her sins which are many are forgiven uh, for she loved much but to whom little is forgiven is the same the same loveth little and of course in the context of that passage jesus is forgiving um there well jesus is being berated for receiving uh the 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 gracious attention of this of this sinner don't doesn't he know if he was the messiah wouldn't he know she's a sinner and of course jesus knew the thoughts of their heart he says hey leave her alone um she's she's been forgiven much so she loves much and so that should be our heart we've been forgiven much so we should love much so here we see um in in second corinthians right forgiveness begets forgiveness so it is easier for us to forgive others when we know how much we've been forgiven and also then it also in luke seven forty seven, forgiveness begets what what's the word used here So if in if in if we go back to this verse, do a little Bible study here. For he says, "To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also." Or if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, it is in the person of Christ. Let's say she get an advantage of us. So he's saying, "Look, uh, I'm all about forgiveness because I've been forgiven. If you're willing to offer forgiveness, that's all. You know, I'm going to give forgiveness in the person of Christ because, well, uh, we've all received forgiveness, right?" You're willing to give it. I'm willing to give it. We're not going to give Satan a place. Okay, so if forgiveness 
begets forgiveness. You get forgiven, and now it's hard for you to hold scores over people in judgment because you've been forgiven, so you extend mercy and forgiveness to others. All right, that's this verse. Now look at this next verse. Jesus is, uh, let's just go in our Bibles. I, I ran through this last time because I was running out of time, but we got a little more time to, let's just soak in this a, a moment longer. I think you can, you'll pick up what I'm saying. And if you're online, I know Leela and uh, Bobby Blaine are watching online, so uh, I got, Le- hopefully Leela's computer's working where she can type in comments. If you get the answer, tell Jeff and he'll yell it out. And uh, But Luke 7, or if you have a comment, in Luke chapter 7, Let's just pick it up in verse one. He says, now when he had entered or when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, uh, he entered into Capernaum and a certain centurion servant uh, who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. Uh, I'm I'm too. Let me move on. So let's pick it up in verse. uh, I mean, I mean, that's way too early. I was thinking I was in verse seven. Let's go to to verse Pick up verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house. This is 736. And he sat down to meet. Verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with uh, the ointment. Now, when the Pharisees had bidden, uh, now which had bidden him, saw it, he spake with uh, he spake within himself, saying, "This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she's a sinner." So his judgment was like, if Jesus is a prophet, he would have known this lady's a sinful woman, and he wouldn't let her touch him. Verse 40, and Jesus answering unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. So now he's not talking to the Pharisee. He's talking to Simon. And so he's perceiving what this guy's thinking. Well, perceiving is not even the right word. Jesus knows exactly what he's thinking. And so perceive, I might perceive something. Jesus knows what he's thinking. All right, there's a difference. So Jesus knows what he's thinking. He turns to Simon and he says, hey, Simon, verse 40 um, or verse 41. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I have entered into thine house, and, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst anoint, did not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Now this is the verse that we have on the screen, verse 47. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? 
So now they're going to another. Jesus just took this to another level. And he said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Of course, because he is not just a prophet. He's really showing these guys. He's forcing them to the to the issue of, is he the Messiah? Is he God in the flesh? So um, at any rate, okay, so getting back to my original question. If forgiveness in the previous verse begets forgiveness, what in this context begets the forgiveness what did it what came from the forgiveness that Jesus offered? Yes. Did you say love? Candace got it right. You get a candy bar that I don't have. It's an invisible one. It's sugar free and it's calorie free. It's the best one ever. And uh <laughs> so so Candace gets that right, right? So love. So forgiveness begets forgiveness. Forgiveness begets love, right? I'm I'm not making that up. That's what Jesus said. Because of her forgiveness, it beget it beget love. Uh, toward him because she recognized the source of her forgiveness and so uh so we should love god because he first loved us and how did he demonstrate that well one of the ways he demonstrates it is forgiveness right he forgave us so we love him okay so you're you're keeping up with me all right so now we're in colossians 114 and paul here says in whom uh, we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins so now this is a this takes us out to a whole nother level because what's so important about his blood well it cleanses us from all of our sin but it's atoning right it's 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 making us at one so now this is divine right here this satisfies uh the law of moses it satisfies the righteousness of god uh, which jesus christ fulfills the law he's better he's he's better than the law that's what hebrews teaches us Uh, he wrote the law he's the author of the law and so uh, he's greater than the law because he fulfilled the law, you know. So he's the lawgiver. That's what Shiloh is about in Genesis chapter 49. So, so his atonement, therefore, is is an incredible um, um, avenue of forgiveness for all of our sins. And so that's an incredible passage dealing with forgiveness, even the forgiveness of our sins. And Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So so we can forgive others uh, to a large degree. You can forgive anyone of anything that God will give you grace to forgive him for. But only God can forgive sins. So when you go back to to Luke chapter ch- chapter 7 there, that's what those Pharisees are like. Who can forgive people's sins? Why can't we forgive people? I mean, we can forgive people who sin against us. But why can't we absolve other people of sin? This is a simple answer. Exactly. We're not God. We're not in a position of authority. You could want to forgive somebody all you want, but you're not. It doesn't matter. So, you know, your son goes out and murders somebody in cold blood and you're his mama. Well, you forgive Junior and your mama's all for him. It doesn't mean that the governor of the state of Missouri is for him, right? Because he's in authority. The person that is in authority is God. Ultimately, which is Sharon has the right answer, right? We're not God. Um, we can love people. We can forgive people. But ultimately, God's the only one that can uh, deal with our our sins with his blood and and remove the reproach of sin and atone us from our sin. It's through the riches of his grace. So I like to say it like this. Uh, so when we say, well, that person can't be saved because this, that, or the other thing, uh, it seems maybe they're just a heinous, wicked person in their flesh. Let's not let our minds go on how wicked they can get because God's perfect. So any sin, all unrighteousness is sin. 
right? And then it, there's just, it just goes down a slope from there, you know. So whether you start up here on the seashore where it's, you can just, you know, walk in and it covers your toes or you go all the way out to the deep and it just, you know, you get lost in a, an abyss of sin and wickedness. All of it's sin. Sin is sin. It's black and God's, God's light in him is no darkness at all. So his ability to forgive us is greater than our sin. So we can't say, oh, well, you, you can forgive me, but you can't forgive them. God can forgive all because he's greater than all. So his, he, he has already paid the sin debt. So God is greater than our sin. God's grace is greater than our sin. But that's why you have to go through him. He's the straight gate. There's the only way to get absolved of sin is through Jesus Christ. He's the only one with the power, the riches and grace, to forgive us of our sin. He's the only one with a, an atoning um, avenue for us to be saved. I can forgive you all day long, praise the Lord, but that is not enough to atone you of your sin before a holy God. He's the one that's offended, right? So we're the, that's why we have to receive his, his means of salvation, which is through Jesus Christ. Now, I know most of us understand that and know that kind of intuitively. If you're born again, regardless of how deep you've thought on that, at some level to get saved, you get a hold of that. You can't get saved without really reckoning with sin and going, man, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I need forgiveness. I need, I need reconciliation. I, all of those terms apply. I need it. You know, I don't know about y'all. When I got saved, atonement wasn't even in my vocabulary. I didn't even know what that meant. So, you know, but I was still atoned as soon as I got saved by the blood of Christ. And so all of that's available through the riches and the, and the, uh, the riches of his grace. And, uh, he is so good to us. Uh, therefore, if you don't receive that, uh, you are desperately without anything uh, in propitiation for your sin. The only thing that can propitiate, that can uh, replace your sin is Jesus Christ. He's the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. If you try some other way, right, like the old old spiritual says, the old Negro spiritual, so high you can't get over it, so low you can't get under it, so wide you can't get around it, right? You must go in at the door, right? If you don't go through the door, Jesus is the door of the sheepfold, uh, you're in trouble. You ain't going to make it. So I know you guys understand that. Okay, so now we're literally where we left off last week. I didn't have a chance to kind of slow burn on those verses. So, okay, point A. So forgiveness means we release people from their debts. This is more practical. And how, what has that got to do with church? Well, let's talk about this. And, and offenses and put them out of sight, right? Put them out of sight. We get rid of them. So since we have been forgiven our sins, we should be willing and able to forgive those who trespass against us. Um, now, I probably see is this is a struggle for many. So so now that we've looked at um, uh, these other verses, we front loaded this. Let's think. Let's just practically talk about this for just a moment. So, I mean, how many of us have struggled with forgiveness? I mean, I know I have, right? I, yeah, we got people waving. It's like we're at a dance club tonight. You stick your hand in the air and wave it like you just don't care, man. I mean, we all struggle with forgiveness. All right. So so somewhere. We got to make our theology practical, right? We got to like apply the theology that we just went through. Um, like so, so forgiveness should for, should beget forgiveness. Forgiveness should beget love, and forgiveness should be couched in the in the biblical truth that ultimately God is the is the author of forgiveness. I mean, there's nobody. If you really want to understand forgiveness, you got to understand God and His atoning power through His Son Jesus, because that's that's the only that is the the standard that's the word I'm it's the standard of what forgiveness is and it's a standard that frankly 
only only God's grace can allow us to get in get in on right. So at a human level, it's hard for us to get a hold of that. However, I mean, even God has standards, right? So at the great white throne judgment, just because God's full of forgiveness doesn't mean that He just allows everybody in. If his atonement was so sufficient, why isn't everybody just saved? He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He could just save everybody with one act. Isn't that something to think about? Kind of like a Calvinistic thought, but not a little different different look at that. Um, and so don't get freaked out on that. <clears throat> the issue, the, we've already covered in previous lessons. The issue is because we are not robots. He's designed us. Uh, with the ability to make decisions because don't forget we were before the fall of adam creating his likeness and image of course we're now in the likeness of seth that of a fallen sinner until we get saved and then jesus christ who's the expressed image of god dwells in us as we looked at a few lessons ago so now we're restored again we have an edemic likeness on the outside but we have a jesus christ image on the inside and someday our likeness will catch up with the image on the inside at the resurrection so we'll be back to square one again, and, and uh, except we'll have glorified bodies uh, like Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a mystery that they couldn't even get their head around in the Old Testament. And so, um, and so when all of that comes to pass, we'll be fully uh, redeemed in that sense, uh, both physically and spiritually. But right now, spiritually, we're redeemed. Uh, we still carry around this old carcass, and we do that because this is our vehicle that God needs us in right now, so we can make this offer of forgiveness to everybody, right? It's kind of like what we're talking about on Sunday morning, right, in Exodus. So God's using Moses and Aaron to offer a deal to Pharaoh. Does he have to? No, not really. If he wanted to just come down and chop Pharaoh's head off or squish him like a bug or just make him vaporize or just send fire down from heaven, I mean, God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. He did not have to have any grace with Pharaoh. He didn't have to give him any options because Pharaoh was done before Moses, I believe, before Moses ever showed up. Pharaoh had enough, he had enough piled up that if God wanted to just put a big wave, a tsunami across Egypt and, and, and start over, he could have done it. You know, uh, God could do whatever he wants, but he chose to send ambassadors, right? And, he, and he's still, he's going to do that in the, in the tribulation. He already knows what the Antichrist is going to do. He's still going to send ambassadors. He's going to send two, he's going to send two witnesses. He's going to send 144,000 Jewish male virgins. And you know what's going to happen through this process is people's hearts are going to be put on trial, right? When our hearts are put on trial. That's how we get saved. It, that's what the gospel does. It tries our heart. As we've been put in trust with the gospel, so also we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which tries our heart. So the gospel tries the hearts of those that hear it and it tries the it tries the hearts of those who speak it as well so the good news of jesus christ's death burial and resurrection puts us on trial so at the great white throne uh, people will be guilty of rejecting uh, the opportunity to be saved and then for us we're going to be judged for our willingness to participate in proclaiming that once we are redeemed so there's 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 always something at stake so when it comes to forgiveness of others um, I'm just hang with me here. Um, you know, we we can release people from their debts and offenses and and put them out of our sight by God's grace. So we've been forgiven our sins and we should be willing and able to do that. But we struggle as humans. Let's just face it because of our our flesh. 
So if forgiveness is something that, that begets forgiveness and forgiveness is something that begets love, practically speaking, I'm talking like shoe leather level, one of the things that we can do to help ourselves um, be more Christ-like, divine in our forgiveness, is do what the lady that we just looked at in Luke 7 did. And that is realize and recognize the what Jesus said, right? How much have you been forgiven of? Right. So some of the reasons that we wrestle with forgiveness is self-righteousness. That's the bottom line. We don't fully recognize how much we've been forgiven, so we hold it over other people's heads. As though we are, we are in a position where we deserve to hold offenses. Right? How can that be if we've been forgiven of our offenses? And so God will put us on trial. Even to save people. And, uh, and he does from time to time. But that really, for me, one of the ways that God's helped me in, in a very practical way to forgive is, to, is, is interestingly enough, one time just to studying the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, on suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. So you go through that nine fruit of the Spirit and you just look at your own heart. Is that where it's at? And if not, why not? And why would you let bitterness, uh, why would you allow that? Because you have the power through the Spirit of God, to deal with bitterness and hatefulness and resentfulness and, and all of those things. Now, that doesn't mean, again, you don't use your brains, right? So you're like, man, my husband beats me, and every time he beats me, I get resentful. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> now, that's another issue, right? Uh, we, need to, we need to get you out of that situation because that's an idiot stick, and uh, that man needs to be in prison. So uh, so that's different. You can still forgive him, but you do need to get out of that situation. Um, and so uh, and so that's different. You, you prove all things and hold fast that, which is good. But forgiveness in general means that we release people from their debts. I mean, just at, this, at the simplest level. Uh, but when we can't seem to let people go from their debts, it's good for us to go back and remember how much debt we've been relieved from, how much grace we've been given. And that will also often help us practically remember to forgive others. There's also some divine uh, – I've been in situations not awful – too awful long ago, a few years ago, where I, uh, I won't get into the nature of it. But God has shown me – I'll just say this. God has shown me that, that uh, he's sufficient. And so there's times when you want you don't want to be gracious or forgiving, uh, and you might want to even retaliate. But if you let God be God, he will take care of business, I mean, in, in extreme ways. And so so you just have to walk by faith as well and trust God. Uh, if if you're not in a position, right, um, if someone's drawn, you know, I'm, I'm talking, to, well, I don't want to get into details. So anyway, just 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 be just, you know, it's a case by case basis um, uh, of releasing people from their debts, their offenses. Some of the silly things that go on in the church that people can't let go of are unbelievable. You know, sister so-and-so took my seat, you know, or whatever. I don't like, you know, brother so-and-so, you know, cut me off in traffic and now, I, you know, whatever. I mean, just there's just so many silly things that Christians, it's it's truly like the nation of Israel wandering through the wilderness. <laughs> you're just like, really? We're going to slow the whole process of the kingdom of God down over this? I mean, and you're supposed to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, all right? So what is that? That's when we're walking in the flesh, when we have all these petty, silly differences that people can't let go of, 
and want to gossip about and tear everybody down, which, by the way, I'm saying this with actually a lot of liberty because I don't know of any of that going on right now at Heartland. But if and when it does, and I'm sure it will uh, because people are people, right? Us older brothers and sisters need to remember our lesson and say, hey, you know, grow up. Let's, let's look at this in the Word of God. Let's, let's put this in perspective uh, because that's nonsense. You know, love your brothers because you've been loved, and you've been loved because you've been forgiven. All right, so let's move on. Point B. Any questions on this so far? All right, so point B. Jesus uh, bore the guilt. Oh, man, guilt's a big one. Shame and punishment that we should uh, have bore for our sin. So check this verse out, Malachi 7, 19. What's that? What did I say, Malachi? Yeah. I have Malachi in my head from today. I was I ended on Malachi chapter 4. Micah chapter 7, verse 19. So he will turn again, and he will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Now, if anyone could be offended uh, justly, it would be God, right? And he's saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to have compassion on Israel. I'm going to take all their iniquities and cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Uh, that's a su- God is super gracious uh, in in uh, His love and grace toward us for sure, and so when we forgive others, we're, we are manifesting the grace of God. We have a whole lesson on this, right? Dealing with sin and and uh, and part of that we talk about forgiveness. When we forgive others, we're we're showing others grace. So let's th- let's look at that in the Bible. Romans five eight says, "But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us." So he didn't wait for us to repent. He didn't wait for us, right? He, he provided the opportunity for our um, reconciliation and forgiveness before we were even born because that's the kind of love he has. Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. So it's okay to forget some things. How many of you get trouble with guilt, Right? That's the difference between guilt and con- what's the difference between guilt and conviction? Mm-hmm. Guilt, she says, there's no way out of it because it's from the devil, and conviction, there is a way out. Is that accurate? Okay. Yep. Um, in our wounded spirits material, this is one exception I take to it. Sorry, Doug Carriger, if you're watching, but um, we use the term guilt. Um, the Holy Spirit will convict you. And you'll be guilty. And obviously, in a biblical sense, when we're convicted of sin, convict convicts are guilty. So uh, theologically, that's not wrong. But the way we define it here at Heartland, which is an easy way to, to look at it, is we know that the devil is the accuser of the brethren um, uh, night and day, right? So he's he's accusing, and he's an accusatory. So guilt... Um, uh, obviously, we're guilty, but we've been forgiven. We We had a whole lesson on that. Early on, a couple of weeks we spent on that. I had a lot of interaction after after class, and I know that was a really really was interesting discussion. So, uh, if our if if we're guilty and we're carrying around guilt, right? Uh, it's usually not specific. That's how we we we've we've defined it within our context of discipleship. So it's easy to communicate. We're not talking about a clear case cut. You're guilty of this because this is the black and white. We're saying when you get that cloud of feeling uncertain and just like, oh, man, I'm just not worthy, uh, we've defined that as guilt, right? And I think you all know what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're saved, 
I know how the adversary works. I, I personally just, that's something I struggle, I've always struggled with since the day I got saved, even before I got saved. You know, so you just always feel like, oh man, I really messed up. And you carry that guilt and shame around with you. And so, um, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, maybe you got a soft conscience, but at the end of the day, uh, that's not conviction. So how do we define conviction? Holy Spirit, Word of God, but it's specific. Yeah, we're not to repentance yet. So when you're guilty, you're charged with something, and you go to court, you're you're innocent until proven guilty, right? So you may have driven without your seatbelt, but you got pulled over for going 70 and a 55, and the cop only charged you with that, and nobody even knows about your seatbelt. You slipped it on before the cop got to your door. <laughs> so guess what? You're not guilty of that, even though you were guilty of that. That's between you and God. You're guilty of going 70 and a 55, and that's what you'll be convicted over. So conviction is usually specific. It is you have crossed the line here specifically, and you'll know. You'll know. Like, I should not do this. There's trespasses and sins, right? You Trespassing is when... You have a sign on the fence, right? And you're like, I shouldn't go fish in that pond, but it says no trespassing. But I'm going to jump that barbed wire and go fishing anyway. You have just crossed the line, pal. You you knew what to do, and you and you you were not supposed to do that, and you did it anyway, very specifically. Uh, sins are generally things that we do. We don't even necessarily even know that we're doing. Um, you know, and obviously we shouldn't continue in sins that we know. Uh, but how you how are you going to repent of sins you don't know until they're brought up? So conviction is is something that comes when we know when God is bringing to our attention an area of sin that needs to be dealt with. You might be guilty of a lot of things, uh, and there'll be, but you until God points it out, you're not going to know what it is. And He may do that through preaching, He may do that through your car hitting a telephone pole, He may do that do that through a lot of things to point you know so you can He can get your attention and show you. Uh, obviously, the best way is to read the Word of God and pray and let God point out things that are wrong, listen to the preaching and the teaching, and let the Spirit of God teach you and convict you of sin. It'll be specific. It'll be measurable things that you can uh, let go and let God, you know, just let Him have you, right? And so um, when we forgive others, we're manifesting the grace of God. We've gotten grace. And so God commends His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so this guilt that, that can sometimes come um, is, is something that we really need to, to let go of. He says, Brother, and I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. So what's something that Paul could have beat himself up over until the day of his death? Yeah, he persecuted Christians. He killed Stephen. I mean, he was there. I mean... He had plenty that he could have been guilty over. Now, he did use that constructively, I think, to say, you know what? I've been given grace for this, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm willing to give up my life. So he, w- he was able to process that and, and go forward in faith. He wasn't swallowed up with over much sorrow, which is actually what he says about this guy at Corinth, right? He says, hey, oh, forgive him. Don't let him get swallowed up with over much sorrow. So it's possible to have too much sorrow that becomes paralyzing. And this, and you can't, you can't function. So Paul says, "Hey, I'm going to forget those things that are behind and press forward toward the mark. You got to have the mark, 
or you're not going to, it doesn't say I'm going to forget those things behind, that are behind so I can absolve myself of my guilty conscience. He says, I'm focusing on the mark. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go after what Christ has called me to do. So you know you're in the will of God. So, I, 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 in a practical sense, there, I mean, I'll just tell you my own testimony. There's been times when I, especially when I go on the circuit, sometimes even now when I preach, um, you'll have just, just these overwhelming, I just call it a cloud of uncertainty, you know, and you're like, is this of God? Is this the devil? Is this whatever, you know, and it's an emotional thing. Like you just feel like, oh, and you're like quicksand, you know, you're in jeopardy. You'd like to think, right, especially if you're going to preach the word of God, you're just going to have all this confidence and you're just going to step up in that pulpit like a, you know, cowboy and you're just going to preach away, you know, <laughs> but it's often not like that at all, you know. And so, so, you know, I remember this, I learned this on the circuit. I would pray on my, next to my bed and I'd be thinking of every sin I could think of that previous week, anything, you know, and I go, what, what is it? You know, what have I not confessed? Because I had this overwhelming sense that I'm just not right with God. Something's wrong, you know. And, uh, have you ever had that? Is it just me? I'm burying my soul and you guys are like, you're a mess, man. We can get a different preacher in here. Uh, and so, so like, uh, so like I'm like, I'm like, I mean, I remember one time out in Ellis, uh, I was at the hotel and I'm just, I'm just kneeling by the bed and I'm praying. I think I was by myself that week and I'm just like, God, I, I don't know what I've done wrong. Now granted, I'm in shepherd school. I'm not, it's not like I'm in D1. I've been saved now for a little while. Uh, and, you know, and I'm like praying, and, and it's like God like knocks me on the head, and He says, "McFly." Well, He didn't say McFly. He's like, "If you're not, what do discipleship lessons tell you? If you don't know what it is, then it's nothing. I'll let you know. I'll let you know what it is. If I'm not telling you, don't worry about it. But I don't feel right. Well, good. Sometimes you don't feel right. So what do you do when you don't feel right? Amen. Ron says, endure hardness is a good soldier of, of Jesus Christ. That's a good answer. Yep. Any others? Getting the word? Yeah. Any others? Ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. These are all right answers. Absolutely. Which is getting in the word. Um, so, yeah. Yes and yes and yes. It's not a magic wand you way, but you, you do need to obey. So God really taught me a lot. He was like, hey, what are you here to do? I'm here to preach the word of God. Exactly. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. Instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Period. Sir, yes, sir. Okay. Now, when I, so when I'm reading through Moses, man, I see this all over Moses, right? Moses is this dude. He's just a, he's just a bundle of mess. Right? He's got, I mean, he was, he was the fair, he was up here, military general for Egypt. Now he's Mr. Backside of the Desert dude doing sheep, and now he's like going back into the fray again as a leader. And what's his issue, man? He don't feel right. He just, he's 80 years old, and he's like, man, I don't feel right about all this. And you know what God does? He says, I don't really care how you feel, Moses. We're going forward. <laughs> so, and, uh, and so there's times you, you've got to go with faith. That is faith, by the way. Faith doesn't mean you feel good about it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you love me, you keep my commandments. So when Paul says, I, I press toward the mark, you know, what he's saying is he knows the standard. Right. So, oh, man, I feel guilty. I'm not going to go to church today. Well, that's the worst thing you could do because it's the first day of the week. Get up and get your rear end in church because that's where you're supposed to be on the first day of the week. Right. Doesn't matter how you feel about it. 
and do the right thing and your emotions will catch up. And so, um, your, so emotions, man, that's a whole nother discussion I could have with you. But it is important because uh, sometimes you don't want to forgive yourself. So focus on the mark, right? Remember, God does love you. That's another thing you got to remember is God loves you. God does love you. If you're, if you're like, oh, God doesn't love me. Well, you know, that's a lie from the pit of hell. So get rid of the lies. Another thing, if you also under these funky moments that you might have emotionally is, uh, and they are just emotional moments, by the way, is, is God's good. Don't ever let the world of flesh or the devil talk you out of that. God is good. You know, you know, we say those little sayings, God is good all the time. Amen. All that stuff. And all the time God is good or God is good. I don't know how that goes, that circle. But it's all true. God is good and his nature is good and he is for you. He is for you even when it doesn't feel like it. He's for you. And all things do work together for good. And so just throw yourself on him and let him. And, you know, if he wants to put a dart through your heart, well, let him put a dart through your heart. You're in a good place because God is good no matter what happens. And, uh, and he'll take care of you. So you can deal with that as long as you stay focused on the mark. Uh, you can forget everything behind you. There's no need to go back and, and, and wade through a bunch of weeds that are in the past. Man, that's all behind you. Forget those things that are behind and set the standard before. Oh, this is where God's taken me. It's not where I've been. It's where I'm going. There's a lot of liberty in that. Where's God taking you? Right now, think about it. Where is God taking you? I know this week he's taking me into vision conference. I don't need to sit around and look back. Where was God taking me last week? Well, last week he was taking me to a marriage conference. This week he's taking me to a missions conference. The next week he's taking me to Easter, right? He's taking me somewhere. And we're, and we're moving forward. And, uh, and if you know me, if you've been around me very long, moving forward is all we can do. I'm not going to go back. No turning back. No turning back. I don't even have any armor to cover my backside. So the only way to go is forward. All right. So don't, don't, so that'll help when it, when it, you know what, when we forgive others, you just say, what's this got to do with forgiveness? I don't know. I just want to preach about it. No, when you, you, you really, you got to be patient with others because if, uh, if we, when we forgive others, we're manifesting the grace of God. And so in first John two, two, let me give you another verse here. Uh, and he is, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we should be full of grace when we really understand that Jesus is the propitiation, right? Instead of us is him. He is the replacement for our sins. Um, and not just for ours. So don't get arrogant for the sins of the whole world. His grace is offered to everybody through the cross. All right. So you guys know that point C. So the Lord's supper. Oh, now we're going to get where the rubber meets the road. The Lord's supper is an important remembrance. First uh, Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Uh, this do in remembrance of me. Now, he didn't have any broken bones, but his body was a mess. Uh, some things, uh, some of the things the, Lord's, the Lord would have us remember about him uh, during the Lord's Supper. So there's some things the Lord would have us remember about him during the Lord's Supper. So you can forget the things of your life, but don't forget the things of Jesus. Um, the same night in which he is betrayed, he took bread. Right. And so if go, go back with me to first Corinthians 11, because this isn't in your notes there and it's not going to be on the screen. These are just things that you, you know, are in the in the text. First Corinthians 11. Twenty four. 
So, and when he had given thanks, he break it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. So the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. Uh, that's interesting. It says that in verse 23. For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, in uh, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So this means that he knowingly met with his disciples, washed their feet, and sat down to observe the Passover feast, knowing that Judas would betray him, knowing that Peter would deny him, and knowing that everybody would flee and John would follow uh, from a distance. I mean, that is, that is, that is, that's what Jesus already knew um, when he was taken captive by the Romans, that everybody was going to take off on him. Not to mention he's going to be betrayed. So he already knew that. So that's something we need to remember. The same night in which, uh, the same night in which uh, he he, uh, in the same night in which he was betrayed, they took bread. So here here is the Passover lamb, the epitome of Passover lamb, and everyone's running from him. Okay, uh, Jesus was willing to sit at meat with his enemy, and call him friend. He called Judas friend. Um, even though he knew he would betray him. In this, Jesus truly showed he loves his enemies, the son of perdition being, by the way, the chief enemy that he has. And Judas is the son of perdition. So, uh, and Satan's going to enter him. So you have him loving his enemies, calling him friend, uh, forgiving his disciples. Jesus is our Passover, and, of course, the Passover feast was there to fulfill the type established in Exodus 12. Uh, remember, remembering his sacrifice for our sin and his ability to forgive our trespasses and forgive us our sins frees us from the bondage of bitterness that we accumulate in this world. So that's why it's important to keep the Lord's Supper. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Remembrance of me what? Well, they die on the cross for our sins, yes, yes, and yes. But also, just from a historical context, consider what Jesus was doing during the Passover feast. I mean, he is loving people who are going to reject him. So there's a practical, there's a practical nature to which when we come together and we all examine ourselves, that God wants, it's a love feast because we're to love one another like Jesus Christ loved us, which is to put up with a lot. Right? We're to be forbearing with one another. Why? Because we know if you put yourself in that story, which one are you? Are you Peter? I mean, the best of us is, would be John. And John, you know, still John wasn't like right there ready to jump on the cross with him. It wouldn't have done any good if he did, right? So, you know, I mean, it, I mean, we're all, we all should have a capacity to be forgiving others because we've been forgiven so much. And we shouldn't allow the bitterness to accumulate and to cause more schisms and divisions within the body which is often what happens at times. People will come to the Lord's Supper, and then they I see it mainly, uh, I'm privy to things that you guys aren't. So I'll see that happen in the life of a, like a couple, a married couple. Sometimes I'll see it in a, in a relational. So there'll be someone sitting over here, someone sitting over there, and they hate each other's guts. And that shouldn't be. That doesn't mean you got to go out to dinner every day, but you got to be able to forgive your brother or your sister, right? It, or maybe even a husband and wife, they're having struggles. And for some reason... They really can't get their head around the Lord's. They can't apply the Lord's Supper to their marriage. You know, Amy, next time I do a marriage retreat, maybe I should preach on this and uh, do a Lord's Supper, do, do observe the Lord's Supper together. 
Um, because really that's, that's, that really solves it. I mean, there's a lot there. I mean, it just takes care of it. And so, um, we did vows. It was good. We did last Friday night at the end of my session. I had everybody stand up and do the vows and you had grown men crying and others were laughing because they couldn't, they couldn't look their spouse in the eyes. So I wondered about them, but anyway, <laughs> but you know what some of them need to do probably is do the Lord's supper and really think about what, what was really going on there was Jesus was getting ready to die for the sins of the world. The people that were closest to him, every one of them was rejecting him. Every one of them. It's some way, shape, or form. You know, none of them were able to stand with him. So the next time you feel isolated, alone, ganged up on, you know, you want to whine, you know, hey, Jesus is gracious, I'm gracious. But at the end of the day, come on, man. Jesus, he really, he really, he wants us to remember. (laughs) So do this in remembrance of me. He wants us to remember uh, what that was all about. He is the Passover lamb. And so... We're truly more than conquerors through him that loved us, is what Romans 8.37 says. He loved us, so we are more than conquerors. It's amazing. So there's some things we need to remember. And one of those things is is that some of the things that we should... Oh, sorry. Some of the things that we need to remember is that our sins are buried in a sea of forgetfulness. Hallelujah to you. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, I mean, our, our sins are buried in a sea of forgetfulness. You know, Jesus didn't resurrect and say... He did deal with Peter... But he didn't, like, chide everybody for, um, you know, hey, John, how come you didn't cozy up next to me at the cross, you know? Hey, where were you, Bartholomew? Where did you go, Peter? Well, Peter, he was a different situation. But uh, he did deal with Peter. But Peter had a higher responsibility. Anyway, so uh, our sins are buried in a sea of forgetfulness. Uh, Micah seven nineteen. he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and that will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that sweet? As far away as the east is from the west, right? And so that's a, man, just just percolate in that a minute. Just sit around and think about what that really means. I mean, now he's dealing with Israel as a son. He's talking about them. But the same thing holds true for us. I mean, our sins are as far away as the east is from the west. He has forgiven us our sins. He's atoned for our sins. We're forgiven, and we had a whole whole lesson on that. So we really behooves us then, are we obedient? If you feel like you're not getting traction, it may be because you're not obedient. You need to forgive and forget and move forward. All right, point D. So here's some common questions on the practical outworking, uh, which is important in the context of a local church, because this is what will trip up a local church. Um, <clears throat> number one, what happens when I forgive but I can't forget? That never happens to anybody, I know. You know, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Again, what I've already said is true. We need to go back and remember that our sins have been cast as far away as the east is from the west and seek God's mercy and grace to forgive with divine grace and power. There are times you do need divine grace and power. We're not talking about human levels of forgiveness. I've seen it. You know, it's that capacity to forgive your father who molested you. It's that capacity to forgive your mother, you know, who beat you or whatever. I mean, and I'm thinking of real people in my head that I know that are Christians that have been able, you know, and I don't, I don't like know how to explain this. I don't know how to explain it. I don't think they know how to explain it. It's divine grace, and God gives them. That doesn't mean they let them around their kids if their dad was a pedophile. It doesn't mean, you know what I'm saying? It just means that it, but they have a capacity to contextualize it, and God gives them divine grace, and it's forgiven. 
as far away as the east is from the west. It's gone. And they're able to process it. And, uh, and it's beautiful. And it, it is not something you can find in this world. It's just, it's just not. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing grace, as the old song says. Um, so we also need to be wise if there is unrepentant behaviors that will cause more offense. All right. So we do have to be careful with that. We can forgive, but we don't have to be a fool and violate scripture. Okay. So that's the other side of the coin, which always gets in the, you know, always gets in the, the works when we're talking about this. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Right? So if you're, just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you're a fool and you continue to put yourself in a bad situation. Right? So there's times when you have to say, look, I forgive you, but there's boundaries. Because you're not going to burn me twice. Right? It's not going to happen. So a good way to measure that is simply this. Whose life are you honoring? You're honoring God with your life. So typically the boundaries are, when you put it in that context and you're pursuing those things that are before you and you're forgetting those things that are behind, it's easier to put up those those Nehemiah walls that are appropriate with the appropriate gates because you understand the purpose of your life and the purpose of the direction you're going for Christ. Right? And you know when it's time to eat with sinners and you know when it's time not to eat with sinners, right? Because you are, you're going somewhere with God. You know what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and what boundaries need to be set up because you're going somewhere with God. And that doesn't mean uh, you don't forgive somebody. That just means you're not going to put yourself in a situation to dishonor God. Does that make sense? And so, uh, and you don't have to feel guilty about that. That's okay, Right? Uh, it's okay. You're not obligated to, to worship other people. Don't worship yourself. Worship God. And then all these other things will fall in place. If you need help, there's structure. What's the structure? The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the local New Testament church. Right? The local New Testament church. I tell I tell uh, singles all the time, um, especially divorced singles, because they're, the they're the biggest violators, like okay, so you wanna you wanna be in a relationship again, and this or this or that has happened in the past. So do this: the next time you feel like you want to be in a relationship, maybe God's created you like that. You need to you need to maybe the violator is you, not someone else. Okay, so here, bring your next date to church. Your first date is Sunday morning. How's that? If they don't make it past that, you've proved it out. You've just protected yourself. Right? Nobody gets access to your heart. If they're not willing to participate in, in what you're doing at church, why would you want them to have access to your life and your heart? And why would you want to be somewhere private with them? Don't meet them for dinner at a restaurant. Meet them at church on Sunday. If they're not up for that, you probably shouldn't be meeting them. Simple. Simple. I'm not saying that. I mean, you know, I'm just saying. It's just. It seems simple, but you know what? How many people won't do that? A lot of people won't. Because, well... The gospel tries our heart, right? It puts us on trial. And so, you know, it, it tests us to see what are we really about? Because, am I so desperate? And this isn't just ladies. This could be guys. I'm so desperate. I'm going to, I might lose them if I bring them to church. Oh, really? You don't think, okay, well, maybe you don't need them. You know, so I'm just saying. 
I might be stepping on some toes here. Okay, so uh, next verse, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, that thou mayest walk in the way of good men and keep the path of righteousness. Right? You want to make sure that you, um, you know, you put yourself in a situation in a practical sense to where you can continue to walk with a clean conscience before God and in the sight of men. And so uh, that may mean that you can't walk with everybody that you used to walk with. It doesn't mean you don't forgive them. It just means, hey, I'm not going to be a fool. Uh, or I'm not going to allow myself uh, to uh, to get in the way of bad men. I'm going to stay in the way of good men. All right. Um, and then remember that forgiveness doesn't always mean fellowship. Ephesians 5.11, and, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Right, so you don't fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. When I was a baby Christian, I went so far to the extreme on this that it was too far. Like I was like, you know, I was not going to, and I was a good thing, I wasn't going to go to parties. If any of my old friends from high school, they probably remember, you know, it's like, I mean, I went extreme, which is good, actually, at the time I needed that extremity. But when I knew I took it too far was when my best friend went in the Marines and he had a party at his house. And Amy was with me, and I drove up to the party, left a note on his on his uh, on his uh, windshield wiper, you know, and told him, you know, whatever. I told him, I don't remember. I said something cool to him and told him, you know, I'm praying for him and all that. And I mean, like I'm in the front yard, they're in the backyard, you know. And I I walked away from that at the time, feeling pretty good that I did the right thing. But the Holy Ghost said, Brian, that's a, at this point. There's nobody going to put a beer in your mouth. <laughs> I mean, nobody's going to. You should have probably walked back there, said howdy, and left. And so I knew at that point I got. I probably went a little too far with my zeal uh, to avoid unfruitful works of darkness. So, and the, you know what? It, you know what was it that balanced that? Well, I didn't feel like I had just demonstrated the love that I should. Now, to the credit of my friend, he's still my friend to this day, and he respects me to this day. So I didn't lose anything. Praise God on that. But after after that, now I had friends that were Christians that totally violated all of that, and so they went to every party, and they were they were, and I think they're born again, and they were the biggest hypocrites you could. I mean, they were partaking of everything that the world was. So that's exactly what I didn't want to do, because when I was lost, I used to make fun of Christians. I used to try to get Christians to fall. I mean, I was the devil in that sense. So I know what it's like, and so I didn't want anything to do with the party life. I was done with it. And uh, when I got married, you know, they wanted to have the party for in our family. That was the custom. Mom, if you're watching, you probably remember this. And so they want to have a party, which is standard, you know, a dance and a keg and all that stuff. And I was like, no, I don't want my family members partying on my account. I, I mean, I don't want them using my marriage as an excuse to go get wasted, which was sort of the norm. And so uh, I was like, no. We're not doing that. We'll have a reception, which they threw an awesome dinner, and we had a reception there at the church and did all that. And so I was, I'm, I'm extreme now. I got brothers right now watching this Christians that think I'm so extreme on this stuff. You know what? Well, give me my space with my weak conscience because, uh, uh, you know, uh, that serpent will bite. You know, so you got to know where those boundaries are for you. If you don't like my boundaries, well, you can create your own, create your own boundaries. I'm not telling you you have to have my boundaries. I'm telling you, these are the boundaries I have to have. And so uh, that's just how I, that is not only how I rolled, 
I still roll that way pretty much. And so, um, and so why? Because, well, I just don't want to, I just don't want fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness anymore. If you'd seen the things I've seen at parties, you wouldn't either. I won't get into that. But there's a lot of darkness. So, you know, you can put that in your pipe and smoke it, you know. <laughs> so that's just basically where that's at. And, uh, and so, you, you know, forgiveness doesn't mean that you just, oh, I forgive everybody. I'm just going to go back and get in the world with them. That's No, we're not doing that. If I love them enough, uh, I'll share the gospel. And, and there's just a balance there. Obviously, as I got more mature as a, as a human and I got more uh, and I got older, um, I, I was more able to negotiate. I also had a lot of good friends uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the workforce that helped disciple me and how to handle and negotiate a lot of those touchy situations when you're at work and you're trying to navigate all that stuff. What you've got to have when you're dealing with unfruitful workers, works of darkness, is you've got to be fortified before you step into that. Like if you don't have a testimony of following Christ, you're done. You're cooked. That's it. You know, it doesn't matter. If you've got a testimony of everyone knows you're a Christian, everybody knows that you're, you have a Christ-like testimony, when you walk into a, 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 an environment that feels rather dark, nobody's even going to expect you to, to compromise. They may want you to to make their conscience feel better, but nobody's going to expect you to. I don't roll up anywhere anymore where people expect me to compromise. And you say, oh, that's because you're a pastor. It is because I'm a pastor, but you know what? That's the testimony I had before I was a pastor. That's nothing to do with being a pastor. Although it does now as a pastor, I really am. I'm, I'm really, a, you know, I, rep- I don't just represent myself and my family. I represent you all, and I represent the Lord. So now I even have a higher standard, obviously. So that goes without saying. That's why First Timothy 3 forbids me from alcohol, and that would include, you know, oh, it's you know, it's not legal to smoke pot. Well, you ain't going to see me smoking pot. Okay? It's just not going to happen. Why? Because I'm sober. I'm vigilant. I gotta, I'm got. i on a mission. So uh, anyway, I can forgive others, uh, but I'm not going to have fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. If it's going to hinder the fruit of the Spirit, kick it out. Kick it out. That could be anything. Too many video games, right? Too much FaceTime. It doesn't have to be some dark, evil, dark, you know, evil thing. It could just be stuff that's robbing you. Get rid of it. Don't fellowship with it. Stay in the light. Okay, can you for, you can forgive, but we don't. But if you don't see genuine repentance, it's often not possible to have meaning, meaningful fellowship. So there's times when people will uh, offend you. And you forgive them, but you don't see genuine repentance, so it's hard to have meaningful fellowship. That's why it gets really difficult in relationships because uh, I'm talking about like marital relationships or family relationships because you want people to, to respond the way you want them to respond. And when they don't, you're disappointed, and unmet expectations are always the, the, uh, the impetus for problems in a relationship, always. So that's where you have to back up and say, what's biblical? Who's God? You know, is he providing? Does he love me? Does he support me? Does she love me? Does she support me? Does she, you know, and you gotta, you gotta step back and look at that biblically. That's kind of on my mind from last weekend still. So, all right, let me pause there. Any, any 
I'm going to talk about true repentance. Oh my gosh, I'm out of time. So no, I'm not. I guess we'll do that next week. So next week we'll come back and talk about true repentance. No, next week we'll be back here talking about on Wednesday night. We're going to be having uh, Ray Stewart will be preaching. Uh, Brad McGuire will be preaching. Uh, we'll have an update from Lee Carter. Uh, and no, Andrew Ong will be on Wednesday night. So Andrew Ong will be here. So we're going to have all kinds of stuff happening. So we got quite the lineup. You want to be here this coming week for Vision Conference, Monday, Tuesday. If you can get here in the daytime, great. Wednesday as well. Um, and again, uh, just uh, for the church body, be ready. We'll be taking up an offering for that to kind of offset some of the costs that we will be incurring for the conference. Um, the next time we get together, which will be not next week, but the week after, uh, we'll pick up uh, true repentance and we'll have some definitions and get through that. I kind of went off track a little bit tonight, but I hope you guys enjoyed that. And so um, let's go ahead and pray and uh, uh, we will be dismissed. Heavenly Father.